The scripture for our focus today comes from the Gospel of Matthew from chapter 8, verses 23 through 27. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? As I was scrolling through Facebook this week, as I do quite often, I saw a meme that sort of relates to our question for the day. Some school-aged children, maybe about 10 years old, were asked the, the question, what scares you the most? Their answers were then placed alongside their pictures and posted on the bulletin board. In response to that question, what scares you the most, Paul answered werewolves. Nina answered sharks. Dylan answered the unstoppable marching of time that is slowly guiding us all toward the inevitable death. <laughs> Asked what scares you the most, Catherine answered Dylan. <laughs> I think Catherine is probably the wisest child in that class. Although as time marches on, I do relate more and more to Dylan. Why are you afraid? That's the question Jesus posed to his disciples in today's gospel reading. Actually, the question is a little bit longer than that. The full version of the question posed by Jesus is this. Why are you afraid, O ye of little faith? If you read chapter 2 in McGray de Vega's book, Questions Jesus Asked, you know that he encourages us to try and listen to that question differently to imagine a different tone than the one that we normally imagine, to hear it in a gentler, more empathetic way. I appreciate what he's trying to do. However, when you add on the second half of the question, O ye of little faith, or you people of weak faith, I can't help but believe there had to have been some tone of judgment in Jesus' voice. Not that Jesus was angry with his disciples, not that he was condemning them or trying to shame them for failing him once again, but he does tell them that their faith is weak. He does seem to imply that their abundance of fear is due to a deficiency of faith, that their fear is too great because their faith is too small. If we were in their place, though, would we not have had the same reaction? Consider for a moment what was going on. They were all on a boat on the Sea of Galilee when a huge storm began to rage all around them, swamping the boat with waves, threatening to sink it. This was not an uncommon occurrence. The Sea of Galilee is, is not large. Compared to the Great Lakes, it's downright tiny. It's only 13 miles from north to south, eight miles east to west at its widest. It's only 141 feet deep. 
What gives the sea its unique climate is the fact that it is 680 feet below sea level, and it is bordered by mountains with valleys and gullies that act as a gigantic wind funnel. The sea can be perfectly calm one moment and overcome by a raging storm the next with no warning. The disciples were familiar with that phenomenon. They had been fishermen on this very sea before being called to follow Jesus. They had been hit by storms before. It would be impossible to be a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee for very long without being hit by a storm. But something about this particular storm caught them more off guard than they had ever been caught before. It terrified them more than they had ever been terrified before. What was it about this particular storm on this particular night that had the disciples so bent out of shape? Perhaps it was the fact that this time they had followed Jesus onto the boat. What do I mean by that? What difference does that make? Well, think about it. Any time previously that they had faced a storm on this sea, they had been out there on their own as fishermen. When they were out there on the Sea of Galilee as fishermen, they almost expected that at some time or another they were going to be hit with a big storm. That's what happens. It's, what, it's one of the risks that you take when you live in Galilee and your fishing is what you do. So even though the storms could pop up unannounced, they were not entirely unexpected. But this time, this time they were not out there to fish. They were now out there in their newly official capacity as disciples of Jesus. And what's more, they hadn't decided to go out on the sea that night on their own. They were out there because they were following Jesus. Matthew tells us specifically when Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. They were following the master. That's what disciples do. They hadn't veered off path. They hadn't gotten lost. They hadn't made a mistake. They knew they were right where the master wanted them to be. What could possibly go wrong? And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. That's not what they expected to happen as a result of following Jesus. That's not what any of us expect to happen when we know with confidence that we are going where God wants us to go, that we are doing what God wants us to do. It's not uncommon when someone else finds themselves in a dangerous situation. It's not uncommon for us to wonder to ourselves what fool thing they did to get themselves into that mess. We might even say it out loud sometimes. Well, why did you do that? Why did you go there? Didn't you know that could happen? What were you thinking? I think psychologically it makes it easier for us to cope with the difficulty they're facing if we know that they're at least partially to blame for it, that, that they did something to bring it on, that, that this didn't just spring up out of nowhere, that they got into this situation because of their carelessness, but if we are careful, it won't happen to us, right? We don't generally, when someone is hit by one of the storms of life, 
when danger springs up all around, when they are flailing about in fear and calling out for help, we don't usually think to ourselves, wow, that person must really be following Jesus quite well. He must really be listening to God. That's one faithful disciple of Jesus right there to be in all that danger. But that's the thing about this story. The disciples were not in the wrong place at the wrong time. They were exactly where God wanted them to be. They did not set out carelessly and in defiance of God and common sense. The disciples were faithfully following Jesus. And Jesus led them right into the midst of a raging storm. To be hit by a storm when you're out fishing, well, that's one thing. You almost expect that to happen. But to be hit by a storm because you were following Jesus, well, that's something quite different. That caught the disciples completely off guard. Then add to that fact the, the fact that Jesus was asleep the whole time. Behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but Jesus was asleep. The one who had led them there, the one they had trusted not to lead them into danger, the one whom they followed because they thought he knew where he was going, the one who got them into this horrible mess, they were in fear for their very lives while he lay there in peaceful slumber like he hadn't a care in the world. Do you ever feel like God is asleep on the job? When despite trying to live healthy, the test results come back showing a serious problem? When despite trying to be frugal, the bills pile up? When despite trying to be gracious, friends and family let you down again? When despite trying to be faithful, you keep running into walls and getting nowhere. Where are you, God? Have you ever asked that? Have you ever cried that out when the obstacles coming against you are overwhelming and God doesn't appear to be doing a thing? Where are you? There he is. He's asleep in the stern of the boat while it's being battered and swamped by the waves. The disciples could barely believe their eyes. They could barely contain their shock at the incredulity of the situation. Jesus, their leader, their shelter, the man whom they were following everywhere, the man whom they were trusting implicitly with their lives, Jesus was fast asleep while the boat they were all in was about to go under. Of course they responded in fear. Of course they woke him up and complained that they were about to perish. Don't we all complain when the God we hope in, the God we believe in, the, the God to whom we entrust our lives isn't performing according to expectations or worse yet, doesn't even seem to be the least, least bit concerned? In Mark's telling of this story, the disciples awaken Jesus with these words, Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you care? God, don't you care that I'm suffering? Lord, don't you care that I'm lost and confused and frightened and don't know where to turn for help and you aren't doing anything about it? 
Why are you afraid, you people of little faith? If we take that question, why are you afraid, if we take that at face value, the answer is quite obvious. The disciples were afraid because the boat was about to sink. The disciples were afraid that they were going to die. The disciples were afraid because the only one in the boat who could fix the situation was asleep and doing nothing. All very good reasons to be afraid, if you ask me. If Catherine being fearful of Dylan makes sense, the disciples being fearful in that boat makes even more sense. But the question cuts deeper than that. Jesus wasn't just asking about this particular situation. He wasn't asking the disciples what were the circumstances of that moment that were causing them to be fearful. The question gets at the deeper root of fear. Fear is not just about finding ourselves in a dangerous situation, causing an emotional response in our minds or a visceral response in our bodies. Fear, in its essence, at, at its core, the fear that Jesus is highlighting here is a lack of faith. That's why Jesus doesn't just ask, why are you afraid? He says, why are you afraid, you people of weak faith? Jesus, in wording that question that way, is answering the question at the same time that he asks it. Why are you afraid? Because your faith is still quite weak. In Mark's version of the story, the wording is even more harsh. Mark 440, Jesus said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? No faith. In Matthew, he accuses them of having weak faith or, or little faith, but at least he gives them credit for having some faith. In Mark, he suggests they have no faith. The implication is clear. Faith is the opposite of fear. Fear reveals a lack of faith. Maybe we need to explore that a little bit, though, because the fact is there are some fears that are perfectly natural and perhaps even good. The, the fear response is programmed into us for a reason. In fact, I would hazard to say it's part of how God made us. Our minds and our bodies are constructed in such a way that they send us clear and undeniable sing signals when we are in danger, and that's a good thing. It lets us know when we need to be cautious. It gives us a heads up when we might need to change direction. If I walk down a dark alley in a bad neighborhood late at night, Sense of fear is a good thing. It's God's way of telling me, you shouldn't be there. There's been more than once in my life when, when I've been there, out for a long walk in the evening, through an unfamiliar neighborhood, the sun sets, the shadows overtake the landscape, and at some point I become aware, this is not a place I should be walking alone at night. It would not have been prudent of me in those situations to have said, no worries, I have faith that God will not allow any harm to come to me, so I'm just going to continue on down this dark road. Fear, in certain situations, is God's way of telling us, you need to turn around right now. The question isn't whether or not we feel a sense of fear. If your heart starts to pound, if your hands get all sweaty, if your stomach begins to churn, none of that is an indictment against you. You can be a person of faith and experience a sense of fear at the same time. The question is which one of those, faith or fear, which one of those do you allow to direct your actions? 
If the apostles in the book of Acts had chosen fear over faith, they never would have proclaimed the name of Jesus in front of people who wanted to arrest them and kill them for it. If Ananias had chosen fear over faith, he never would have followed God's call to go to a man named Saul of Tarsus, who he knew had been trying to put to death those who believe in Jesus. If Moses had chosen fear over faith, he never would have returned to Egypt and confronted Pharaoh. If Martin Luther King Jr. had chosen fear over faith, he never would have led a movement that challenged the power structures of this nation. I can guarantee you that every one of those people experienced a sense of fear. Each one of them knew the churning of the stomach when your entire being is crying out, danger, danger, you could die if you continue down this path. But every one of them also had an abundance of faith. And they allowed that faith to predominate over those fears. Every one of them knew that they had followed the Lord onto that boat, so any waves that threatened to drown them were as nothing compared to the God who was with them. The God who was with them. The Lord was with them. Jesus was in the boat with his disciples when that storm hit. Yes, he was asleep at the moment, but that doesn't mean he was any less in control of the situation. The disciples were fearful. The, the fact that they felt the danger of the situation, that was natural. That was normal. That was not the problem. The problem was that they allowed panic to overtake them rather than turning to the resource of faith. If they had turned to their faith, they would have remembered the promise of Psalm 121, he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. God was not asleep on the job. God is never asleep on the job. If they had turned to their faith, they would have remembered God's declaration to Job, who shut the sea with its doors when it burst forth from the womb and prescribed limits for it and said, thus far shall you come and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Dangerous as the sea may be, it is no match for the one who created it. And that one was in the boat with them. Jesus revealed that to them once again when he rebuked the winds and the sea, and the wind and the sea obeyed. Water had always been a symbol of uncontrollable forces, a symbol of danger. Men acknowledged their powerlessness over the sea. They, they could sail on it, but they could not control it. They were at the mercies of powers far beyond themselves. The only one who could control the sea was the one who had created it and set its bounds. So when Jesus showed the disciples that he had power over the wind and the waves, that the forces of nature bowed to his command, that that was a revelation to them of his divine stature. This Jesus, who was in the boat with them, was 
the very one who had swept across the dark waters in the time of creation. This Jesus, who was in the boat with them, was the very one who had brought order out of chaos. This Jesus, who was in the boat with them, is the one and only God who is in control of all things. And he was in the boat with them. When the disciples saw the wind stop, and the sea grow calm, they responded in wonder, what sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? What sort of man indeed? A man who is also God. Jesus was asleep. He was able to sleep even through that terrible storm, because he's the one in control. It's why he had a perfect peace, even in the midst of profound danger, because he was in control of the situation. Even while his body slept, he was in control, for the Lord neither slumbers nor sleeps. But what about the disciples? How, how were they supposed to have that peace within them? And what about us, for that matter? We're not divine. We can't call out to the wind and the waves and expect them to obey us. We can't control the people around us. We can't control the circumstances of our lives. We can influence them, yes. We, we can make choices that might lead to safety or danger, but we don't have the final say on the outcome. There are forces of this world that, that are simply beyond our control. There are dangers in this world over which we hold no power Fear is going to spring up from time to time. It has to. But there is one thing that we can control. There is one thing that we do have a choice about, and it is a choice that makes all the difference. We can choose whether we are going to focus on our fear or on our faith. We get to decide whether we will be driven by our fears or whether we will live according to what God has done for us and who Jesus is to us. We have control over whether we will live according to the circumstances and dangers that surround us or whether we will live by the Holy Spirit who is within us. As scary as it is, each time we choose faith over fear, it gets a little bit easier. Because each time we do that, we are reminded that although we are not in control, we have a personal relationship with the one who is. Each time we are reminded that God is powerful, and God is present. God is all-powerful, and God is ever-present. No matter how terrifying the storms that you're in are, the Lord is right there in the boat with you. And you may think he's asleep because he's not jumping up and responding the way you think he should in the moment. 
but he is still in control. You are safe in his hands. Be not afraid. The Lord of all creation, the God of all power, the Lord of mercy and wonder and love, he is with you. He's with you in the calm moments and he's with you through the storm. Trust in him. Turn to him. Find peace in him. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for that promise that indeed you are always with us. No matter what storms we are going through right now, Lord, we know that you are with us, that all is within your hands, that you are all powerful, that you are all loving, that you know what is best and are doing what is best. And so we trust you and we thank you for that grace and mercy that is upon us. We cry out to you for loved ones who are in need right now and for ourselves, for the storms around us, that you will quiet them, that you will calm them. And even when those storms continue to rage, Lord, we know that you can quiet and calm our souls, that we can find peace in you. So Lord, give us that peace now. Give us that faith now to to face whatever situation you are calling us into, to face it with faithfulness as your disciples following wherever you may lead. We place ourselves wholly in your care, O Lord, our God, our Redeemer, our Savior, and our friend. In Jesus' name, amen.